Our lesson is entitled, Winners Don't Quit and Quitters Don't Win. And you know that's true in sports that the winners don't quit, they don't give up. If a football coach had a, a team and, and they said, oh, we're not going to keep on going. If they don't show up for practice, what? They don't play, right? That's kind of the rule that kind of was taught my son when he was going through school. So winners don't quit and quitters don't win, but we need to think about this. The same is true in our spiritual life, in the life that we lead. Have I done something wrong? Let's see here. Let me turn it off and then turn it back on. Okay. There we go. Okay. We're talking about uh, in 1849, there were two brothers, and these two brothers, they went from Kansas City, Missouri to California to strike it rich. They staked a claim, and they, uh, in, within the first month, they got gold, and they were very, very happy, and they kept getting gold, kept getting gold. They hired men to help them, and they were doing really good, but in month number eight, they didn't get any gold. In month number nine, they didn't get any gold. So they said, well, we got $100,000. We'll split it. That's $50,000 a piece, and we'll go back to Kansas City where we came from. They found what they thought was going to be a sucker. This sucker just went up, and he, he bought the claim. And when he bought their claim, he paid them $100 for the claim and $100 for the equipment. He had a geologist friend come over and look at the thing, and he said, three more feet, and you hit gold. Well, the first month, those guys, they worked and worked and worked, and no gold. The second month, those guys worked, and in the second month, in the second month, in the third day, which was Wednesday, they found gold. And they found one of the largest gold uh, veins in the whole state of California, and they became multimillionaires. Those first guys quit too soon. Those first guys didn't keep going. They didn't keep going, and what we just read in our scripture reading says that we need to keep going in our Christian life. All right, in Hebrews 6, 9 through 12, that was just read to us, he says, Beloved, but we are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that accompany salvation, though we speak in this manner. So he says, better things. Well, the first eight verses talks about how people fall away. In fact, it mentions people who fall away so much that they can't be renewed again. I believe as long as you got breath in you and you're willing to repent, God is going to accept you. So I don't ever give up on people. So better than those who had fallen away. And so we need to remember that, that we need to keep going. And then he says, For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love, which you have shown towards his name, in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. God knows what you do. And he knows every little thing you do, and some things are not out for everybody to see, but they are important. I had a Bible school teacher in second grade, 
and we had a sandbox. I don't think there's any sandboxes in classes today, but there was a sandbox, and we had pipe cleaner men. And my pipe cleaner man had to get all the way to the promised land. And there was obstacle and obstacle and obstacle, but they finally made it to the promised land. They were so happy. And I couldn't ever miss a Wednesday night because I had to move my pipe cleaner man a little closer to the promised land. And I was waiting to get there. Well, that's kind of that, what he's saying here. You keep going. You keep going, and God knows your labor of love and God knows exactly what, he, what you do, and he does not forget it. Then it goes on, and we desire that each of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end. Very important. That you do not become luggish, but imitate those through faith and patience inherit the promise. I tell you what, I look at the same diligence as being a straight line, a perfectly straight line that we, whenever we are baptized in Christ, we're going to continue to have the faith all the way through. And what does the verse say? There's something important the verse says. We are going to have the same diligence all the way to the end. Now, he just talked in the first few verses of this chapter about people who fell away. But he's saying, here, I know that you're better than that because you're a Christian and you're going to stand for the truth and you're going to have the same diligence all the way to the end. And that's what we're looking forward to. In Galatians 6 and verse 9, it says a similar thing. It says, and let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not lose heart. I tell you what, growing weary and doing the Lord's work is hard. Sometimes you plant the seed and you're waiting for the water to harvest and you plant the seed again and you're waiting for the harvest. But God says, don't grow weary while doing good. And he says, hang in there, you're going to make it. In 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 11, it says... Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. So I say, hey, we're going to turn away from evil. We're not going to do it. Do you know the little song, be careful little eyes what you see, be careful little ears what you hear, be careful little feet where you go. We don't go towards evil. We don't hear and see the evil. We keep our lives pure for God. So that's the idea. We've got to get our eyes and feet and our hands and our ears, everything working for God. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. We want God's face looking at us. It says his eyes are on the righteous. We want God's eyes on us. His ears are attentive to our face, but it says those who do evil, the face of the Lord is against them. We don't want to be in that boat. We want to be in the right boat, and so we need to follow after God and do the things of God. And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? God is for us. 
God's not against us. There's people that may be against you. There may be difficulties that you may encounter, but God is for us, and he wants us to be righteous. But even if some should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed, and do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. Some people come along, and they give you a difficult time. Some people don't want to listen. Some people you invited to vacation Bible school didn't come. I, I went around town, and everywhere I went, I invited people to come to church today. And I, I'm, I'm not expecting them all come, but they all, all did. At physical therapy, there were some of them, and, and they said, well, one girl who works here goes to Valley View. Well, anyway, that was kind of interesting. But anyway, I invited people to come. Not everybody comes. And then it says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to declare, de defend to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. And I like the translation that uses with gentleness and respect. But first, you've got to be right with God. If you're not right with God, you can't teach anybody else how to become a Christian. If you're not right with God, you can't do it. And so you've got to be right with God first, and then it says for us to go out and defend the gospel, to, to preach, to teach, to teach one another the good news of Jesus Christ. Having a good conscience that when they defame you, that you as an evildoer, can you imagine somebody thinking that you're a good Christian and they call you an evil person or evildoer? Those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. We don't want to do that, but the first word in that sentence there is having, which means that we maintain it. It's that straight line, carrying on, keeping on, sticking with it. We need to be stick with it. I tell you what, Whenever you start school, you start now in kindergarten, you go first grade, second grade, third grade, you keep going, and whenever you finish high school, they give you a diploma because you were the ones that kept on going. There are some people who drop out. There are some people who drop out of church. There are some people who don't stick with it, and we need to be the type of people who stick with it to the end. It is better... It, if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Some people uh, give you a hard time, but I use this slide to repentance. You go away from sin and towards God. That's repentance, to go away from sin and towards God. For Christ suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God and being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by his spirit, or by the spirit. All right, that talks about the death and the burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We don't offer sacrifices every year. We don't offer sacrifices every day. Jesus Christ made the one perfect sacrifice for sin on the cross. 
He was buried in a tomb. It was a new tomb. Nobody had ever been in this tomb. That's important because if it had been a used tomb, they'd pull some skeletons out and say, this is Jesus. But it was a new tomb. Nobody had been in there, and all they found in there was the grave clothes. And then Jesus arose from the dead, and those soldiers who were there testified that he was a raise from the dead. And so God used this means that Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men to me. This is the means for salvation. I'm going to give two examples of two of Jesus' disciples on this particular point of sticking with it, or getting it going, or staying the Stay in the course. The first one is Judas. And Jesus said to Jesus, Judas, whatever you do, do it quickly. And so he kissed Jesus and he took the money. And uh, for a little bit, he was happy, I guess. Or he began to feel remorseful later than that. Do you remember Achan? Achan had to bury what he took, the booty, in his tent because when it's stolen goods, you can't show it to anybody. Well, that's kind of how, how Judas felt with that money. It was money he really couldn't use. And so he goes out and he throws the money back at the temple and he goes out and hangs himself. The other example is Peter. Jesus said, before the cock throws three times, you're going to deny me and, oh, Lord, I'll never do that. But the first time, are you one of his Aren't you one of those that's with him? And, and three times he denies Jesus. And the scripture says that when he, the cock throw three times and everything, he saw Jesus' eyes. They looked at each other. He was remorseful. He went out. He cried. He was bitterly sorry for what he did. He repented and he got right with God. And Jesus even calls him later. He says, he has the love for him. He has the agape love for Peter. And Peter preached the first sermon on the day of Pentecost because he was given the keys to the kingdom which began the church. And 3,000 people were baptized that day and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. I wonder if any of you saw this up here. If you were questioning what has this to do with the sermon, well, I'm about to tell you and I'm about to show you the mystery thing, okay? First people's service didn't tell you, I hope. All right, these are high heels. I went to one of the fanciest stores in town, Goodwill Industries, and I bought these shoes because they go with the sermon. I told the lady that I was checking out, that checked me out at Goodwill, I said, you wanna come hear my sermon, I'm gonna use these shoes in my sermon. She was a little bit interested, but uh, I don't figure she's here, but she was a little bit interested. She said, I've never had a preacher come in here and buy anything for a sermon, but I did. There are three words that uh, go with this particular shoes. The first word is endurance. Somebody who can wear a high heel shoe has endurance because they aren't comfortable. In fact, I saw a picture of Megan, one of the royalty in uh, Britain, and they show her, somebody snapped a picture of her high heel shoes sitting there beside her and her bare feet because once she sat down, she took off those high heel shoes. So endurance, the second one is 
perseverance or forbearance. Perseverance, if you can wear those things and keep wearing them through the day, that's perseverance. And the third word that we're going to learn after you hear the story is the word encouragement. There was a man named Jim Smith. He preached in Lubbock, Texas, and I graduated from Lubbock Christian College or Lubbock Christian University. And when I, Jim Smith tells this story, I was at sunset at one of their workshops, and he tells this story, and it's a true story. His good friend was a preacher in Dallas, and he had stayed with his friend in Dallas while he took his family to Six Flags. And so he owed this preacher in Dallas a favor, and he says, I've got this lady and her daughter I need picked up from the airport and taken to a track meet. And so he was looking for them, and they had a picture of him so they knew what, what he had looked like. And so they got to the Lubbock airport, they came out, they found him, and he noticed this lady wearing high heel shoes. And she had on a dress that was fit to kill. I mean, she was modestly dressed, but she, she, she had on a beautiful, beautiful dress. And the daughter had sweats on. Well, they go to the track meet, and the daughter takes off her sweats, and she gets one of those numbers that you put on the front of you that you're going to run the race. And so she's going to run that race, and the race is about to begin. They shoot the gun up, and the mother says, Megan, you can do it. Megan, you can do it. Megan, you can do it. Go on, Megan. Go on. Go on. Go on. Keep going. Keep going. And then Megan's out of sight. And then they said, uh, the lady said, she went and asked, where can I see the girls running? And they said, if you climb up this hill with 10 trees on it, that's what they have in Lubbock, 10 trees. And uh, they, they said, go up this hill towards Alderson Junior High. You know, uh, McKenzie Park's in a valley there, and the Caprock is right up here. And so she climbs that hill over there and gets under one of those trees that has a little bit of shade. And she looks out and she looks and she says, oh, I forgot my binoculars. But she can see the girls running. And when she sees that they're getting near the finish line, she goes back down the hill in her high heels. And uh, she, she, she waits for the first girls to cross and then she crosses the track to get on the other side and go around where the girls are going to come back. And when the girls come back, her daughter, and she sees them in the fourth group of girls. Her daughter is slumped. Her daughter is just barely moving. Her daughter is just sweating profusely. And mother says, Megan, Megan, you can do it. You can finish. You can finish. Come on. We're going to do this. Do this. Remember what they told you. Remember to breathe right. Get in stride. Get in stride. Get in stride. You can do it. And Megan crosses the finish line. And after Megan crosses the finish line, she is ringing wet. I mean, ringing wet. But this lady in her high heels goes over to her daughter and they hug and they do the strangest thing. I mean, there's a little incline there, like in these aisles. And, and they, they get down on the ground and they row. They get down on the ground and row, even though she's got on that pretty dress and those high heel shoes. And then after a little bit, they celebrate, you know. And then after a little bit, she stands up and the daughter stands up. And Jim Smith, the preacher, 
takes them to the 50-yard line to eat lunch. After they've eaten lunch, he takes them back to the airport. But while they were eating lunch, he learned the story. Megan had had cancer two years ago. She had surgery, and then she had a year of chemo, and then she had six weeks of radiation. And this race was to say, I defeated cancer. And I tell you what, that's something to celebrate. Well, I look at it, the Bible says, the angels in heaven rejoice over a sinner that repents. I look at my brothers and sisters in Christ, it says that they're to provoke one another towards love and good deeds. I say that we have heroes that are encouragers to us to help us on this Christian raid, and it says the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, so he sees and he knows, and he'll help you make it through cancer and make it through anything. We need our brothers and sisters in Christ. This is entitled Hanging On for Dear Life, and it came from Teenage Christian Magazine in 1970. And in 1970, there's no cell phones, I'll just tell you that to begin with. But it's a true story. Uh, this is a 1967 Dodge pickup. I learned to drive on a 1966 Dodge pickup that looked just almost exactly like that. And the first time I drove, my grandfather drove us to the mailbox two miles. And he says, you're driving back. I was 10 years old. I started back and I got in the ditch and I opened the, the door and I, I was going to get out. And Grandpa said, you got us in the ditch. You got to get us out of the ditch. Sweat was coming on me and I drove us out of the ditch and got home. And by the end of the summer, I was able to drive to the post office and back at 10 years old without anybody in the pickup. So that's just an extra story. But... To tell the truth, this boy is turning 16 years old, and when he turns 16 years old, his parents take him to the Department of Public Safety, and he gets his driver's license. He passes the driving test, and he is so excited, but he goes to school. Of course, when he goes to school, he tells everybody, I got my driver's license today. All the boys in that school that are his age are coming to supper at his house. They're going to have hamburgers and hot dogs. And he goes to a school that has a six-man football team. You might not have ever heard of that. But six-man football teams, you play offense, you play defense, and you might have two other kids that are on the side in case somebody gets injured. So he brings them home with him, or they all come to his house. And when they come to the house, the boy is so excited, he says, I'm going to drive you home. Call your parents and tell them that I'm going to drive you home. So they all went to the phone in the living room on the wall. They used the rotary dial phone one at a time, and they called their parents, and their parents said they could ride home with them. I could see those parents biting their nails. A 16-year-old that just got his driver's license is going to bring my kid home. Well, he started out, most of the kids lived in town, and so he got them all home safely. And then he had one friend who was really a close friend because he worked on his grandfather's farm during the summer, and this, this kid lived in the next, next farm over. And they were really good friends. And they started down the road, and all of a sudden there came this thunder and this lightning and 
terrible, terribly hard rain. It was raining so hard, they basically say you can't see your head in front of your face. He was going to pull over, but his friend rolled down his window and said, Oh, look, all the ditches are full of water. We can't pull over. So he said, Okay. And the other kid, he put on his cap. He was willing to look outside, and he says, You get me, and you tell me as long as I'm staying on the white line. I don't want to get off the white line. I want to stay on the road. So they watched the white line. The road was pretty straight. And and they came to this part where you go down and then you come back up and there's a river running through there. Well, uh, as they're going down the hill, the boy on the passenger side said, I can't see the white line. I can't see the white line. I can't see the white line. So he just stayed the course, going straight, and all of a sudden that pickup goes sideways. And he's not driving sideways, but that's kind of a, the way it was. He, he started going sideways, and the, the river had picked him up. And they came to this tree, and this tree is never, ever underwater. They've seen this tree a million times because it's on the road. And so the first boy, he jumps out. And he climbs out the, the window. You can't open the, the pickup door. He climbs out through the window. He gets on the tree. The driver gets over there. He's 16 years old, and he gets a hold of the tree. But before he could get in the tree, the truck just goes away. It's going down the river. And they're both on there, and it is raining profusely. And the boy that just turned 16, he says, Anything that comes up, I don't go to church. He said, I think I've been to church one time in the last month, and one time's not good. He says, if my friends want to go fishing, I go fishing. If my friends want to go camping, I go camping. If my friends want to go somewhere, I go, and I think I've been there one time in the last year. I mean, in the last month. He, he went to church. He, he was a Christian. And his other friend says, oh, You've invited me to VBS every single year from the first grade till they was too old to go to vacation Bible school. And then you invited me to camp and you said your parents would pay my way. And I didn't go. But I tell you what, I'm going to be at church with you Sunday. I'm going to be at church with you Sunday and I'm going to be there and we're going to go together. Well, that, that means they felt like they were going to get out of this. They were praying profusely that they'd get out of it. And lo and behold, the rain stopped about 1 a.m. But they're still up there, and they don't know how deep the water is. They could swim, but they don't know where to swim to. And lo and behold, about 3 a.m., this guy is an early fisherman. He is an early fisherman, and he rides his boat out there, and he sees this tree that's never underwater, he sees two things hanging off of it, and he gets close enough, and he sees his boys, and he listens to their story, and they get in his boat, and he gives them a little bit of water, but he says they're lethargic. They, they don't move. They don't talk much. They're, they're lethargic. They're just really sick. And so he gets in his boat. He goes and goes and goes and goes, and he gets to his farm. He anchors the boat, he runs up there, he dials zero on his rotary dial phone and asks the operator to get an ambulance and the police there and he tells them where to come. And, and they do. He goes back and gets those boats, boys out of the boat, gets them on shore and then the ambulance comes, picks them up 
and takes them to a town about 35 miles from there. Now, if you live in a town with a six-man football team, you don't have a hospital there. So he goes about 35 miles, and he told him his parents' name. Everybody knows everybody, and so they told his parents, and all the parents of both these boys, and they met him at the hospital. And they go in there, and they find out both boys have really bad pneumonia. And so they're going to stay in the hospital two days for breathing treatments, IV antibiotics, they're going to get better. And so these boys get better and they go, get home and the 16-year-old boy calls uh, the minister of the church, the preacher, they don't live in a town with a youth minister, calls the preacher and the preacher goes with him and he visits the boy that was the passenger in the pickup and his good friend and the boy, not the preacher, teaches the other boy how to become a Christian. He says, I'll be baptized Sunday. Well, the parents were listening. They were kind of listening. And so the preachers told the boys to go to the boys' room, and he taught the parents. So the parents were, said they would be baptized on Sunday as well. So Sunday comes around, and the first boy, turning 16, went up and got restored. He asked the elders to pray for him, and they did. He was restored to the church. And then he goes up into the baptistry and baptizes his best friend, and then the preacher goes into the baptistry and baptizes that boy's parents. They were glad that they had made it. We need to be the type of people that encourages one another and builds one another up in the church. God did not send us here to just start the Christian life. He sent us here to persevere and finish the Christian race. And I tell you what these shoes say, endurance, perseverance, and encouragement. And so we need to have that in our Christian life. wanted to tell you a brief story here. There's Bob Fleming, Ruth Fleming, there's me, there's Bobby, there's Pam, and there is Lee Mallet. Uh, Bobby was on the list whenever I got to Corning and I went through the secretary's file. I found this file called Delinquent Members. And I think that it would have better have been named Lost Hope members. And Bob was on that list. He hadn't been to church in 20 years. He told me the ceiling would crack if he walked in the doors and all sorts of things. I got to be friendly with him and visit him and went, during the campaign he wanted to repent. And so that is wonderful. And he came to church the rest of the time every single Sunday, every Wednesday night. And then Bobby, Pam's husband, I taught him how to become a Christian and he was baptized, and all this occurred on Friday night. And on Sunday, they were there. Well, Bob, over there early this year, found out he had cancer from the top of his spine to the bottom of his spine, and he was in very, very grave health. Uh, he, he didn't have much hope. There was nothing they could do. They just told him, you know, we'll make you comfortable, and that's all we can do. They couldn't make him comfortable. He couldn't even sit in a chair comfortably. And riding in a car was just next to killing him. I went with him and prayed with him, and, and he was in the hospital five times that year. And the last time I went, uh, I, I was very thankful. Uh, he was about to be rolled in for an x-ray or something, and the ladies there, the nurse and everything, says, I told him I was his preacher and everything, and I said, could I have a prayer with him before he goes? 
here and they let me pray but I was amazed at those people that worked at St. Bernard's they prayed with me they bowed their heads they were very respectful and thankful that I was there and one of them shook my hand afterward and said we need more people coming up here doing that to encourage our people well Bob died and I did his funeral and he went from being on the lost hope list to being in heaven because he repented and he came back to the Lord. I say you can repent, you can come back to the Lord. The Lord wants us to be faithful and have the same diligence all the way through and to make it. If you've not become a Christian, you need to be buried in the waters of baptism. You need to be raised like my granddaughter was on Tuesday night. And that's part of becoming a Christian, a part of the family of God. If you need the church to pray for you, we're willing to do that. And so if you have a need, won't you come while together we stand and sing?